I thank you for your word. I thank you that you let us know this piece of history and that uh, we can learn much from the events of the flood. I pray that you'll open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a note. It was floating stuck to the, to the ark, and it said, Dear Noah, we could have sworn you said you were leaving at four. Sincerely, the unicorns. Oh, they didn't make it. That's the best I could find of the 50 I read about Noah. <laughs> Anyways, it's easy in our culture today to be amazed at the level of evil that is dominating our world. I mean, hostility, anger, greed, lying, it's just commonplace. But we still have level of law and order in place, as well as the presence of the Church of Jesus Christ, which helps put a lid to suppressed evil running rampant and total pandemonium, but can only then try to imagine the level of evil at the days and times of Noah. No law and order. Every intent of people's heart was to do evil continually. And as God looked at this world of mankind, he was very grieved. And he determined that he will judge all of the corruption going on everywhere on this planet. But in the midst of this darkness, there was a ray of hope. There was a faithful man who worshiped the Lord named Noah. And God chose to reveal his plan to this man. And Noah and his family would be the ones that God would ultimately use to repopulate the earth. What is most impressive about this man is his faithfulness and his obedience to the Lord. It's not like he lived in an easy environment to stand up and be a faithful witness for the Lord. <clears throat> so we look at chapter 6, starting at verse 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms. You shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. I'll skip the cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to the cubit from the top. Set a door on the ark on the side of it. You shall make lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, am, I, even I, am bringing a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kinds, animals after their kinds, creeping things on the ground after their kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all the food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. This is quite a project. God in his mercy chose to reveal his plan to Noah. And he's going to destroy the world, but he will spare Noah and his family. The way God is going to do this is by having Noah build an ark. It wasn't really a ship. Uh, it was more like a giant barge. It was to be made of gopher wood. We don't really know exactly what that is. Uh, some type of cedar or cypress. Divided into rooms with a waterproof covering of pitch inside and out. The size was approximately 437 feet long, 73 feet wide, 44 feet high with three decks. The capacity was one and a quarter times larger than a football field. 
This ark was so big because of God's plan to keep all of the species of animals and insects and birds alive with Noah and his family. So it would have the capacity to float with great stability, uh, even though it would not be able to navigate or have speed like a ship. The ark had a window. Literally, it's an opening for daylight. This would provide light and ventilation without letting rain in. So the ark was also to have a door on its side, and it is that one door that everything entered through and everyone would enter out of. Think how strange it would have been for Noah and the people of his day to build this large ark. No one had ever seen any kind of flood. No one had ever seen rain. So as Noah worked to build this giant barge, he would have been mocked by people around him as he tried to preach to them and warn them. Hebrews eleven seven reminds us Noah had been warned of God of things not as yet seen. Noah believed what God said. Because of that, and his diligent, he prepared the ark knowing God had condemned the world of wickedness and he was bringing judgment. There would be 120 years before this judgment came, uh, according to verse 6. So people had plenty of warning from Noah's preaching and his godly example. No doubt the intelligent people of his day would have guaranteed to everybody else that such an event is completely impossible. So people continue to carry on life unconcerned about the message that Noah was preaching to them. Verse 17, God makes it clear to Noah what's coming and what the destruction would be like. The word flood that is used here for the first time was unique to all of human history. When the New Testament speaks of the flood, it is never in regard to a local flood. The flood would destroy everything that had breath. The language used could not refer to a local flood, but rather a cataclysmic event that impacted the entire planet. It appears the flood would not destroy all of the marine life, though it is likely many would have died when the earth erupted from beneath, but they had a place to live. All land animals and all people perished. In verse 18, God says he established his covenant with Noah and as he enters the ark in chapter 9, we'll deal with this much more specifically. But the task at hand now for Noah is to build and prepare the ark. This was done so that life would be preserved during the flood. And the only people, as you know, to survive would be Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. God in his foreknowledge knew that none from this generation would ever listen to Noah or respond. There had been other believers before Noah, like Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. I mean, all these people living hundreds and hundreds of years would have known these other people. They all died before the great flood. In verses 19 through 21, we read the very precise instructions that would make possible the preservation of all of these animals. A male and female of each kind were to be brought into the ark, and then seven of the clean animals were to be brought on board as well. This would likely be domestic animals with an extra one to offer in sacrificing. So the total of animals could have been over 70,000 species. Certainly there would have been large animals like camels and elephants and giraffes and dinosaurs, but they would have likely been at a very young age. Many more animals and birds would have been small. I read that the ark would have also had room to close to a million species of insects. Well, the Lord decided that we need the insects. Well, that's how the birds live, whatever. Anyways, and as also to have enough food for all the animals and Noah and his family for a very long time. 
At this time, the earth had a uniform climate, so animals probably didn't come from long distances to when they entered the ark. The Lord would put it into the animals' minds to come to Noah and to board the ark at the proper time. It is fascinating that within each animal would have been genes with the ability to know about migration, and they instinctively were moved toward the waiting ark at the right time. Still today, animals know all about migration, something God instilled in them. Also, God gave the ability to some animals to hibernate and pass winters in uh, very small places after they have a giant meal. We don't know if some of the animals came, had a big meal, and went to sleep for the year. At any rate, the animals were prepared at the right time God brought them to the ark. But the most amazing thing in this whole passage we're studying is the response of Noah to all God's instructions about the ark. And I'm reminded that what God calls you to do, he equips you then for that task. So if he's called you to be a mother, if he's called you to be a wife, if he's called you to be an employer, an employee, a Christian worker, he equips you for the task that he brings into your life, which he certainly did for Noah. An amazing task. We read in verse 22, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. What an amazing response of faith and absolute obedience. These tasks God gave him to do were so huge, so monumental, so challenging, and certainly there had to be days where he felt overwhelmed and discouraged. But he never questioned God, and he never complained. He simply obeyed. Hebrews 11:7 tells us Noah had faith in God's word even though he had never experienced anything like what God said was going to happen. I hope you want to be like Noah. I know I do. Living a life that is characterized by obedience in an ungodly world. This requires that we be willing to obey his word even when we don't understand what's going on in our lives. Like Noah, we must be willing to stand alone even if people around do not understand you at all. We can only imagine how people thought about Noah. Here he is building this giant boat on dry ground, not anywhere near water. And he kept warning them about a coming flood. It all seemed ridiculous and absolutely impossible to the people who had never seen rain. As Matthew 24, 37 says they simply carried on life as usual, eating, drinking, getting married, doing the normal things of life with no sense of fear, no sense of urgency about the judgment that they were continually warned about. But in spite of all these obstacles, Noah believed God's word and he obeyed the Lord. This is how we are to live our lives as well. We must understand that to walk in obedience to God's word means that we will have to stand alone like Noah. We believe his word about Jesus, even though we've never seen him. We believe he is going to return after the world goes through unspeakable cataclysmic judgment in the tribulation. What makes Noah so different from the world that he lived in is what should make you and I different from our world. Obedience and a willingness to stand alone is how every believer through the ages has lived. You only have to read biographies of believers through the centuries and, and within the scriptures, of course, too, to see that other people thought they were out of their minds. Many suffered great personal attacks in countless ways. Many lost their lives. They lived their Christian lives being completely misunderstood by family and friends and coworkers. Noah is such a model for us to follow. 
So do you take God at his word even when what he's commanded you to do seems to make no sense? I mean, I'm sure for many of you, if you're in a challenging marriage and you're commanded by God to submit to your husband, that often doesn't make sense if you think you know better than what he does. No. Are you willing, though, to stand for the truth in his word even when others all around you may mock the standards of God and his high standards of morality? Like Noah, you may find that you will stand alone, especially in a family gathering. All these holidays are coming up. Think how misunderstood Noah was by everyone around him. They refused to listen to him. I'm sure there were a ton of Noah jokes going on at the time, but he stayed true to the task. He preached the truth as he worked hard on the construction of the ark. And that brings us to the great flood. And then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, male and female, uh, animals that are not clean by two, male and female, birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days, 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Clean animals that are not, and not, are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, they went into the ark by twos, male and female, as God commanded Noah. So what we see next is God delivers the godly. Noah had been preaching faithfully for 120 years while he worked on the ark. And now it was ready and it was time. Preaching had come to an end. God now speaks to Noah and tells him to enter the ark. He alone is the only righteous man on the planet. He was righteous not because he was going to, he built an ark and entered it. Because his heart had been changed. He had worshipped the Lord and believed God's word and trusted him to be his God and savior. So he was a righteous man. The ark is a picture then of the safety and security that every believer has when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20, that God spoke through Noah to the ancient world about their need to repent, but no one listened. But Noah and his family were safely brought through the flood waters. In this passage, it goes on to say in verse 21 that baptism corresponds to the picture of what happened in the ark. Like the waters of the flood, the waters uh, at Noah's time represent judgment, but the waters that were judgment for others caused the ark to actually be a place of deliverance for Noah and his family. When a believer today is baptized after they put their trust in Christ alone as the only way to be delivered from the penalty of our personal sin against God, going in the waters symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So if you are in Christ you will not experience God's judgment. You are safe. If you are in the ark of safety, that is Jesus, then you are forever safe, as clearly taught in John 10. Now in verses 2 through 9, we read that uh, Noah was not alone in the ark. As we saw, we are told there was a week there. God is sending the animals, and Noah has all the last-minute preparations, getting all the animals, I mean, three levels... (laughs) And getting everyone in their right stall and nest and location and pile of whatever, get them there. <clears throat> That's what certainly he and his family were busy doing. 
I read that the ark's measurements would have provided 1.54 million cubic feet, uh, close to the volume of 522 standard railroad stock cars that hold 240 sheep each. So no doubt, the bedding for the animals was very deep and absorbent, likely helping dealing with animal excrement. There's a lot of theories going around about that. But knowing how wise and perfect God is, he would have made a way to accommodate that need for Noah and his family so they didn't have to wear nose plugs the entire year. <clears throat> God brought the animals to the ark, and everything was ready for the imminent judgment. I have a book from the ark museum I put down here. Um, and, you know, they've built the ark in the actual size and has the three decks, and to go see it is really brings all this to life in a very special way. If you get a chance, you want to look at it afterwards. Uh, but they had the three decks, and all the animals well, were put in their proper place and category. But the most important truth to take away is that while God was getting ready to pour judgment on the earth, he was also providing safety for the godly from his judgment. And the truth is, God's judgment is coming again to this planet. It won't be by a flood. It'll be through the events of the Great Tribulation. And ultimately, God is going to renew this entire planet as he cleanses it by fire. Second Peter 3.10 reminds us, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So that's why Peter goes on to say, in light of that, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's such an important passage to think about because it reminds us of how temporal everything is in our life. Peter also indicates in verse 12 that we hasten or speed up the return of Christ when we share the gospel with people because his return will happen when that last person chosen by God hears the gospel and responds in faith. This is the same thing that Noah did while he was waiting for the floodwaters of judgment. He lived a godly life. He proclaimed the message of repentance, just as we are to do. Noah's wife, his three sons, and their wives, they listened to Noah. They believed what he said. They knew his faith was genuine. They knew he was real, that he had credibility. How unlike Lot, when God was sending judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he went to try to warn his family, and they just laughed at him because he had no credibility. Noah was quite the man. So we have the arrival of the flood. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Well, we saw uh, that one week prior to the flood, God told Noah to enter the ark with his family and get the animals. But this last week of grace has now ended. And on this very precise day, and Scripture often does that for very important events, gives you the day, the month, and it was the 600th year of Noah's life. It's, very, it's such a major event, it gives the very minute details. It was a very significant day. The fountains of the deep opened up as well as the floodgates of the sky opened up. So we see the flood then came from two directions. The waters that were under the earth's crust erupted and exploded. One person put the blast subterranean oceans upon which the earth crust uh, rested, burst open, and for 150 days spilled out upon the earth. From the other direction, the sky opened up, and this was no Florida thunderstorm. 
uh, we have to remember that before the flood, a mass of waters were like a transparent canopy vapor that encircled the entire planet, uh, giving it a greenhouse effect. That's why people lived a lot longer, and it was a tropical climate everywhere. But with the flood, this canopy completely collapsed, and all that water that had been stored in there uh, took 40 days and 40 nights to empty onto the earth. So the waters that had once been separated on the second day of creation are now reunited from beneath the earth and from above the earth. There was no way any person or animal could escape. Likely the waters from beneath the earth were hot as they exploded, and the waters from above were cold. There was nowhere to go. You think about the pandemonium at that moment, running to climb a hill, climb a mountain, climb up a tree. There was no escape. We learn that God is just, God is holy, God is righteous, and he deals with sin. He brings justice to corrupt people. But even in the horror of this picture, we see the mercy of God and his patience. God gave people every opportunity to repent. He also gave spiritual light from Noah as he warned them that this was going to happen. God is patient. God does provide in so many ways, a witness. We know from Romans 1, we have the witness of creation, that a God of order and power exists. We have the witness of our own conscience. It's just that people suppress that. And here, many people on our planet have had the opportunity, not all, <clears throat> to hear the gospel or to have knowledge about Jesus. Um, and in Noah's day, they had prior knowledge of Enoch, who walked with God, and Lamech, as I said, Methuselah and Noah, uh, they even had the last seven days as Noah was in the ark. But the same is true for people today as it was back then. People have been warned. Many have heard the truth. Yet they will still be complete, completely caught unaware at God's judgment. People today mock the semi, second coming of Christ just as Noah and his message was mocked. For the very same reasons, they follow after their own lusts. So when people mock God's judgment, it's not because they're so intellectually stymied by what Scripture says or seeking truth. It's because they have a godless, self-centered view of life that refuses to believe that they'll ever be held accountable to a holy and just God for their sins. They don't want to live a life with any kind of moral restraints or restriction. Jesus spoke in Matthew 24, 27 about the people in Noah's day. They were unprepared for the flood, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. They hadn't listened. They hadn't been concerned in the least bit. They were just too busy doing the normal activities of life, and then the flood came. I can't even imagine, as I said, the horror and the fear that struck everyone as the earth exploded with water and it came crashing down. Moments of regret, moments of panic, but it was too late. And so it will be the next time God's patience comes to an end. People will have the exact same attitude of just being busy with life, and then Jesus will return and judge this world. My hope is that everyone listening has made preparations for that coming judgment of God. That's done by turning from your sin, admitting you're a sinner, that you've offended a holy God, placing your complete confidence and faith in the God-man, Jesus, who took the wrath of God on the cross on behalf of sinners like us. It is so dangerous to put off this decision as if we have any guarantee we're going to live through this day. Please make sure you are prepared spiritually to meet the Lord in death 
or before judgment in this world. As the Hebrew says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't suppress that tug in your heart. Well, we see the far-reaching consequences and the impact of the flood on that very day. Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast, the cattle, the creeping things, the birds, <clears throat> they all went into the ark by twos, everything that had the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female, all flesh entered as God commanded, and the Lord closed the door behind them. So we learn that on the very day the flood began, Noah and his family had entered the ark. It would appear for the week of grace, Noah and his family had been getting, as I said, the animals settled and every last minute things done. But the task was complete. The animals have all entered the ark. As one person put it, God supernaturally then closed the door of the ark so that Noah and all the occupants would be safe and protected from the violent waters. We see that Noah did what God told him to do. That is human responsibility. And God does his part by protecting Noah as he promised he would do. We're reminded here that it is our responsibility to obey God. And it is God's responsibility to care for us and keep his promises to us. How often do we worry about how God is going to accomplish something in our life and with his plan in our life? But we are called to trust him and obey his word. We must leave the unknown future to his care. He is a good, wise, kind God. Well, God shut and sealed the door, providing assurance to everybody inside that they were safe in the will of God, safe in his protective care. <clears throat> All that they were familiar with would be gone forever. The moment that door closed, nothing would ever be the same. Certainly the winds and the waters battered the ark, but they were saved. I mean, the whole world crumbled mountains fell valleys dropped uh, the whole earth was submerged the entire planet is underwater certainly the earth has had countless floods and earthquakes and tsunamis and droughts and volcano eruptions through the years and fires but there's nothing nothing to compare to the magnitude of this great flood i know the ark is often a cute decoration for a baby's bedroom but when you think about the flood, you can't help but be reminded of the divine truth of judgment and retribution. The Bible's record uh, that we have just been studying records a universal flood that destroyed the entire earth. And this same holy and just God will always deal with sin. He has provided a way of escape and safety through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on behalf of sinners. He himself said that I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. People have been deceived into thinking they are right with God and they'll come to God in his own terms, just like we learned, you know, with Cain. And how many people have a God they've created in their mind and everything's good with them and their God? But we're reminded in this passage of the truth of God's hatred for sin. Yes, he is a God of mercy. Yes, he is a God of tremendous patience with people. But there is a payday someday. There is a coming day, just like in the time of Noah, when he will again enter this world and bring catastrophic judgment on all those who refuse his grace and mercy. As believers, we're reminded that God hates our sin, and we praise him that we will not have to bear the punishment for our sins by being separated him from him forever. But we must not take lightly the fact that we can be forgiven. Our sin is still a big offense to a holy God. So keep short accounts with God. 
when you sin, repent immediately. Hate your sin. Stop excusing your sin and blaming your sin and everybody else around you and the circumstances around you. So will you be a woman of faith like that of Noah's? Will you believe what God says in his word even when obeying it seems really hard and really strange? Will you do what he tells you to do even when it doesn't make sense? May we all be characterized by righteous living and a heart like Noah's determined to obey even if you stand all alone in the process. Father, I thank you for letting us know this event that happened and lord we learn from it and the new testament references this event so many times too lord i pray that we would be women who have faith like noah that we do what your word says that we believe what your word says that we obey what your word says that we stand alone and are willing to do so because we trust your word i thank you for the truths of your word and i pray that we would apply And deal with our own sin, Lord. And if there's any lady here who has not yet come to that place of surrendering her life to you, I pray that today will be that day. In Jesus' name, amen.